Kilo, Alpha, Papa, Lima, Oscar, Whiskey, India, Tango, Zebra. This is Kaplowitz Media via Kaplowitz Radio at Kaplowitz Media on Twitter and Instagram. Emails? Sure. Kaplowitz Media at mail.com. This is in addition to the Chatting With series of interviews. And as if you listeners, you gentle persons, haven't read the title prior to clicking play for some odd reason, to whom am I speaking? Hey, it's Steve Hall from Tinker Coffee. Steve Hall from Tinker Coffee. That's right. You heard it straight from, well, Steve's mouth. And Steve, why are we talking today? Uh, I think because we both have a deep passion for coffee, right? Uh, yes, but why am I <laughs> talking today? I, I'm, uh, I'm sorry if I'm I, if I sound stuffy. It's only because I am incredibly stuffy, and I'm apologizing to you and to whoever has the misfortune of reading this, of reading this, of listening to this. Uh, maybe the Benadryl's kicking in. That should make for a fun show. But an interview. Uh, first of all, Tinker coffee company uh you just recently let me pull up i'm terribly unprepared just recently scored a huge grade as if it matters on my kaplowitz media coffee site huge grade really happy to see it uh, i'm yeah. happy to read it <laughs> I, don't, I don't like reviewing it there's a couple of schools of thought i guess or action as far as reviewing stuff just anything and there's a lot of people out there a lot of reviewers not to throw shade on anyone that kind of like to flex themselves and how clever they can be by just skewering a product and i always prefer to really write about what i admire and it's great when i have something put in front of me that i could give a, a stamp of an a grade to for my tens of readers that this matters to, but it, great coffee. And I'm talking about the Colenso. Colenso. Yep. That's it. I, make sure I pronounce that correctly. It's an Ethiopian and it's a fantastic blend. And this coming from someone myself, who's not typically an Ethiopian fan. And I think that kind of is almost bordering on the sacrilege at this point in time to say something like that. But just a, a solid, a solid coffee. And uh, but really, that's not even why I kind of wanted to talk to you today, or I really did want to talk to you today. And thanks for playing along. I was looking at your website, Steve, and I see that a couple of things pop out in your about me kind of section there, the bio section. You, first and foremost, you don't own a cafe, per se. Your, your stuff is available at other cafes. That's it. Yeah, we, we started as a wholesale roaster. And um, even, yeah, to this point uh, now, we, we just do wholesale roasting. We also have a uh, kind of like a catering wing uh, called Tinker Gemini. But uh, yeah, our cafes, our flagship cafe will be open later this year, uh, probably late summer, early fall. And we'll also have 
uh, location opening up in the uh, Indianapolis airport this year. So cafes are, are a 2020 project. Gotcha. Got you. So there is. So why did you choose to go that route? Why did you choose to wholesale first and then do a brick and mortar, as it were? The biggest reason was really kind of a practical one. Honestly, we um, when Jeff and I started the business, we we didn't have any barista experience. We we didn't want to jump into something that we didn't know much about and kind of set us set ourselves up for for failure. We felt like so. Um, yeah, we just thought, hey, we can, we can roast coffee pretty well. We can source coffee pretty well. Uh, let's focus on building the wholesale side of the business, and then when the time is right, we will we will get into the cafe side. So after five years, the time feels right. So, so what are a couple, one or two, or however many big things that you feel you learned that you felt comfortable making that step or taking that step? Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, a big thing is 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 workflow. You know, understanding the the flow of a cafe, understanding uh, how a bar should be laid out, understanding how to put together drinks, how to build drinks, uh, understanding how to train people, understanding all the ins and outs of of coffee equipment. So all those things kind of stack on on each other, and uh, and over time, we just have developed that skill set to make us feel much more confident in. Uh, and going out and, and doing the cafe thing on our own. So yeah, a little bit of everything on anything you can imagine from a cafe perspective, we've, we've had to learn over the years. And, and something that intrigues me with all that, and uh, all those things are mentioned fairly readily here and there, but one of them that's lagging behind the others, as far as a topic is layout. And mm-hmm. I could be wrong. It's just something I don't see as much. And I want to touch on that. First of all, what do you mean by layout by flow? Yeah, I mean, really, it's it's just putting yourself in the perspective of the barista. You know, so often we'll go to a new cafe that um, is looking to use our coffee and and we'll see kind of the way they've laid out things or the way they're anticipating flow. And, and you might it might be something as simple as like, oh, you don't have a drain here where there needs to be one for the espresso machine or you're going to put your milk, you know, 10 feet away from the barista. And that's going to be a big problem when they're trying to get lattes out the door. So it's, it's things like that. It's understanding just how can you minimize or, or make movements really effective? How can you make movements more ergonomic? How can you set things up if they, you know, something like milk is a great example, something that needs to be used quite frequently. How do you make that, that movement or that the placement of that fridge or cooler or whatever, um, just, you know, easy and, and, and workflow. Um, all those factors are, are things that, oftentimes, you know, they, they should go unnoticed. It should be, there should be no friction in the process of making coffee. And, and sometimes people just don't, they don't think all the way through on that, on that side of things. So, um, so, so it should look easy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It should be super easy and you shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't, there shouldn't be a lot of wasted movement. You shouldn't have to turn around and grab something when it could be right in front of you. You shouldn't have to put something further down underneath the counter that'll, you know, require you to bend down and pick it up and bend down and pick it up if you can keep it more at arm's length. So it's, it's ergonomics. I mean, truthfully, that's a, that's a big thing, especially with baristas that are doing a lot of repetitive movements. Uh, right. Ergonomics and, and, and flow is so important. And, and I could tell you, I, I mentioned a customer real quick, the clientele or however you want to state that, the guests. Um, I mentioned them real quick. And they, uh, you know, I, I of course, frequent. The, I live in the Pacific Northwest. You can't 
fling a live cat, let alone a dead one, without hitting a couple of coffee shops. And you, as a customer, you notice that when it when it looks laborious for the person making your coffee, you kind of pick up on that. And even subliminally, it's it it's not easy. It, there's there's friction to the movement a lot of times. I I, I see the setup. I kind of develop, developing an eye for that. But while we're thinking about the customers, what are, do you give much thought to the layout as it pertains to the customer? In other words, how they approach the counter, uh, where they're directed to go after. Does that form of layout factor in much with what you're doing? Absolutely. Yeah, you, you use the right word in that, which is we're, we're always trying to remove friction. You know, always trying to identify areas where friction could potentially exist. Yeah, and and I noticed that I'm not going to again. So, yeah, one of the. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, just to finish a thought, um, and also you cut out for a second. But um, just to finish a thought, mainly uh, there's a popular cafe in town here that it's awesome coffee. It's great go. service. I'm back. It's awesome coffee. Oh, there you go. It's awesome sorry. coffee. It's no worries. It's awesome coffee. It's great service. This cafe I'm talking about that shall remain nameless. But it's an abrupt experience from my perspective, from the clientele, from the guest perspective. You kind of get shot out of a cannon into the counter, and then you kind of mull about not knowing what to do afterward. Mm -hmm. So what can you do from your perspective as a host, let's say? Uh, what do you do to kind of, to kind of direct traffic? Yeah, it's, it can be tricky. I mean, one thing that we're, we're dealing with now is that we, we didn't want to, just thinking from a design perspective, we didn't want to have a cafe where there was a big menu behind the barista or a big menu on the wall. You know, we wanted there to be a, a more kind of artistic feel to the kind of the back of the counter. So if that's the case, then, you know, you think about having a menu right up front, right by the cash register. And so that can sometimes cause people to to stand at the cash register at the point of purchase basically and be reading through this really detailed menu of specialty <laughs> drinks or whatever. Right. And then everybody's like, come on, like, why did you, why did you get to the counter and not know what you wanted? Right. So, you know, we, it's gridlock. Exactly. Yeah. So we've tried to think through ways where people could actually get a menu on their way in and spend some time interacting with the space while they look at that menu. And then when they're ready to order, they can come up to the counter and order. And then also making it very clear, like, Hey, this is where you're, kind of meant to be staged as you wait for your, for your drink. You know, you can do that with some bar top seating, high top seating where people can feel comfortable just standing up or taking a, a quick seat while they wait for their drink. And then very clearly understanding where their drink's going to be, uh, you know, kind of the past where the drink's going to be passed off to them. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of the design choices that we've made have, have tried to make that, uh, that time when someone's waiting for their drink uh, very clear and very comfortable, truthfully. And I guess the next step after that, after getting your drink, is atmosphere. Mm -hmm. uh, what What are you? What is your vision for that? What are you trying? What are you trying to impart as far as kind of? I, I want to use the word culture. Mm -hmm. Each establishment has a culture of its own, and you kind of pick and choose all things. If all things are uh, equal with the quality of coffee. I tend to go, of course, at a cafe that I find most comfortable. Yeah. And sure. I realize it's completely, completely subjective. 
and it intrigues me because you're kind of building your culture at that point as a business, uh, as a host again. Uh, so what, what are your thoughts on that? What are you trying to achieve as far as the atmosphere of the place? Well, it's funny. We so uh, our our roasting facility. So we're in about a, a ten thousand square foot building, and it's kind of portioned off into a couple different areas. And we've got four thousand square feet where our roastery is, and that looks pretty. It looks pretty industrial um, in a good way. Um, almost like it looks like a Willy Wonka kind of factory kind of <laughs> looking thing. It's it's really bright. It's really clean. It's meant to be you know stainless and and grays and whites and blacks, just like very clean but industrial. Um, and, uh, and what we want to do with the cafe side of things is keep some of that industrial feel because we're, we're in a, a pretty industrial space, but we also want to warm it up a little bit with, um, with different kind of like light woods and some greens and some live plants and, and certainly a lot of natural light. So, yeah, I think the, the big thing for us is that given where we are in town, we're really close to a university, we're really close to some hospitals. We want to give people a lot of space to hang out. You know, we have a lot of seats, we have a lot of room to play with, so that's good. But we also want people to, and this has come up a lot in the design uh, process, I guess, is that we want to have different pockets of, of seating so that you can almost have a different experience depending on where you're sitting on any given day. So hmm. one, thing that, one thing that I mentioned in, uh, in our planning meetings and design meetings was uh, I, I would really want there to be a little kind of nook where anytime you go in, someone's sitting in that area like it's like the it's like the corner <laughs> booth you know it's like one cool table in the restaurant you're like one of these days i'm gonna get that table you know like one of these days i'm gonna come <laughs> in here and i'm gonna be the one that sits there so we've, we've tried to design a couple of cool spaces like that that uh that hopefully are, are taken up but when the time is right it'll be yours and you can have this cool experience <laughs> <laughs> and you get to be the cool kid for an afternoon or so yeah, exactly <laughs> so, okay, so atmosphere. Let's 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 uh, do that uh, large. Let's talk about uh, the atmosphere outside of the establishment, and that would be the Indianapolis area. Uh, what's the what's coffee culture look like out there exactly? It's growing a ton. I mean, food and beverage, just in general, is growing a lot in Indy. Um, I, I moved back, or I guess I moved to Indy for the first time with my wife in 2011, and we had moved from Cleveland at that time, and Cleveland had this really rich, like, robust, uh, you know, food and drink culture when we left, and we came to Indy, and it was still, it, it felt a little bit behind Cleveland and huh. other cities in the Midwest, so over the last, you know, close to 10 years that I've been here, there's been this great growth, there's been a lot more you know, craft beverage, uh, you start to see restaurants that are, um, that are taking a little bit more, um, they're, they're kind of going out on their own and, and doing things, um, a little bit differently. And, and people are embracing that much more than they had in the past. I think Indy had kind of like always been known as a, you know, middle America, a lot of chains, a lot of, you know, places that are, you'd see anywhere, but not a lot of distinct personality. And I think we're starting to see more distinct personality in restaurant groups and, and, uh, and bars and, and everything else. So that's certainly translated to coffee, which is really cool to see people are, are gaining a, a stronger appreciation for craft. And, um, and it's been great for our industry. We're just, we're seeing people, you know, be much more comfortable uh, spending money in these places that might be a little bit more expensive, but, but offer a, a much different experience. 
And and you mentioned a distinct personality. How would you label that personality? Like your typical, your typical, I keep saying client and it's probably the wrong Mm. word, your typical guest. What, who are they exactly? You mentioned you're by university. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would that typical client look like? Would it be a university student or a faculty or any of the above? Yeah, it's a pretty wide spectrum. I mean, we, we get a lot of people in the shop now, in the roastery now that are that are college kids that are just looking to drink great coffee in the dorms. We get, you know, retirees that have awesome espresso machines at home. We get a, a really wide spectrum. Um, so it's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what our like average customer really is. But I, I think one of the things that makes Indianapolis unique is that there's, you know, I mean, you can go to Chicago. Chicago is obviously a much bigger city than Indy. And they've got uh, just an incredible cafe culture there, but also food and drink is exceptional. But I think what Indy has that, that not a lot of other places have is this, um, it, it's just a, a bent towards, great hospitality. And I think in a lot of instances, we had kind of gone too far. I don't say too far towards the hospitable, like hospitable kind of nature, but like almost too nice, but not cool. And now I think we're like getting that good mix of like, we have really cool stuff and we give a shit about all this, but we're also really nice about it. Like, I think that's one of the things that makes Indy pretty unique kind of in the country. So yeah. I think, I think that'll translate well in our cafe for sure. Yeah, and, and and honestly, I spent some time in Indiana, but it was more toward the. It was I was situated uh, rather unpleasantly, to be honest, between South Bend, Indiana, and Chicago, mm-hmm. and it was anything but forward or progressive, with minus all the political, uh, you know, intonations in the word progressive. It wasn't a very forward-facing part of the country. Mm-hmm. And I did visit Indianapolis a handful of times, and I always got the feeling it was a little more lively there. And this was about a decade ago, so mm-hmm. this is old news. But I'm not surprised to find out from somebody with boots on the ground that it is progressing nicely. It is opening it up. It is kind of embracing the future because that that Chicago part of Indiana was very uh, – just stuck mm-hmm. it always seemed kind of stuck and it seems to me from again kind of from an outsider or at least a removed perspective that if i had to open a shop i would probably pick indianapolis over the even the chicago even chicago let alone the chicago land area mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem very welcoming it seems too set to 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 itself already and Indianapolis seems to be growing into something. It, it's kind of growing up, and it could be anything still. And again, this is from a 10-year-ago perspective. But it's kind of cool. And uh, you get to kind of grow your community, too, I would imagine. Like, uh, do, do you do stuff, or do you plan to do stuff within a community there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think you nailed it. I mean, there's there's still a long way to go. But um, one of the things that that we've definitely seen over the last few years is that a lot of people that – you know, might've grown up in Indiana or in Indianapolis, they've gone out to California, they've gone to Chicago, they've gone to New York, spent some time there as they've started to think about either settling down, getting married, having a family, whatever the next chapter of their life looks like. A lot of people have come back and and kind of taken their experience in those other cities and and now set down roots here and, and established 
something that they want to to help grow here in town. So, you know, I'll just use the example of restaurants and bars. We see, we see that a lot. Um, but it's cool. I mean, Indy's an affordable city. You know, you, you do have the opportunity to kind of have an impact on the on the market like you wouldn't in a city like Chicago that's, you know, so big and, and exactly. so expensive. So, yeah, it's um, there's there's really great opportunity in Indy. And I think, as you said, we're really we're a pretty welcoming place. Um, there's still a lot to lot long way to go in terms of, uh, you know, more progressive politics in the state in general. That's for sure. But I think, right. but, but in general, I, I think everybody, everybody here, certainly people in the coffee industry, are pretty are pretty open and and uh, and welcoming to, to people doing cool stuff. So, so essentially, what you're what we're both kind of skirting around that I'm going to punch in the face right now is it's an opportunity to educate people mm-hmm. in no small part to teach them about what craft coffee is if you want to call it craft or boutique or specialty whatever you attach to that but a better cup of coffee and like I said it involves a lot of education and I face that with tobacco because my other gig outside of coffee is cigars and I'm constantly answering what I consider 101 type questions as far as you know, educating new smokers. Now I'm trying to educate my small little part in educating new, you know, step leveling up coffee drinkers. And something else that caught my eye is that you offer cupping classes. Yeah, that was a big thing. I mean, from the get go, we knew that because specialty coffee hadn't really been fully embraced in town yet when we were getting started. We knew we had to do that educational side of things to teach people what the difference was between whatever they'd been drinking before and and whatever they were going to be drinking, you know, hopefully in the future. So cupping classes for us were a a huge, huge part of that educational side of things. And uh, yeah, for the first several years, Jeff and I were doing cupping classes sometimes twice a week, uh, you know, a lot of times on, on the weekends just to get people in the door and say, this is how we evaluate coffee. This is, you know, smell and taste and everything. This is how you learn more about the beverage that you're drinking. This is where it comes from. This is how it's processed. This is how we roast it. Just getting people more informed has been really, really important in our life cycle and continues to be. So yeah, you nailed it. It's it's so much, so much of the the battle that we face is educating people on why should you spend $17 for a bag of coffee instead of five to ten dollars you know whatever you've been buying before what is that what is that difference in price why does it exist and it's it's actually it's a fun challenge but it but it does take a lot of work (laughs) and it's constant Mm -hmm. Uh, spoiler alert but yeah so so what what would i expect if i were to show up for one of those cupping classes could you walk me through that a little bit and just kind of just kind of flesh that out a little bit as like what the experience would be but yeah, when we first started, we uh, we were in about a 1,200 square foot house, basically, uh, and we only had enough room for really eight people to take a cupping class. So we would we would have individual cups laid out uh, with you know ground coffee in them, uh, three different coffees, and each individual person that was in the cupping class would be able to smell the coffee ground and get a sense of the the fragrance of the beans, and uh, and then we pour water on the cups and let the coffee start brewing. And as that's happening, people would be smelling the aromatics of the coffee. It's really fun to see how that, how the, the aromatics change as the coffees brew. And then once the coffee's brewed for about five minutes, you, you break the, the crust of grounds it forms on top. You scoop those grounds off the top of the cup. 
you let the coffees cool down to a palatable temperature and then you actually slurp the coffee with a spoon kind of like you would in a wine tasting kind of you know aerating the the coffee on your palate and uh yeah, we would take people through three distinct coffees in those early cupping experiences. Now that we've gotten into a bigger space and have a little bit more freedom with, um, yeah, I mean, truly just, we, we just have more more space to play around with. Uh, we take people through a full cupping of basically all of our single origins on the menu at any given moment. So we'll cup anywhere from six to eight coffees at a time uh, in a big group. Usually we do about 20 people at a time now. And you get to go through wow. and actually, yeah, do the same process, you know, smelling the dry, wet and, and slurping the coffees. And it's just really fun to, to, to taste so many coffees at once and see all those differences and experience all those differences between the lots. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. So, so let, let's do this. Speaking of fun, maybe this will be fun. I already mentioned uh, Colenso. What would uh, if you were sitting me down and showing me that via cupping? the Colenso. Mm -hmm. What would you tell me about that? In other words, what did I get wrong in my review? <laughs> no, your review was great. <laughs> you, had a, you had a lot of good descriptors in there. Um, no, you know, I, I think the, the biggest thing that we like to highlight and the, and the thing that attracts us most to, to really special Ethiopian coffees is, is that floral character, that herbal character, uh, certainly the fruit, bright acidity, nice sweetness. So, you know, for, for a coffee like Colenso, I would really have people pay attention to that herbal, almost like hoppy sometimes character, like lemongrass. I would definitely have people pay attention to the citrus characteristics of it. And I would also compare and contrast something like a Colenso to a coffee from maybe Central and South America in terms of body and, um, and what we would call a, a more traditional flavor profile versus a more modern flavor profile, which would generally just be more fruit, more acidity, more florality in those Ethiopian coffees. So fun to compare and contrast those two. But yeah, I think you, you honestly had a, had a lot of, um, you hit a lot of the notes that we, that we ourselves have gotten in the cupping. Um, I think one, one of the interesting notes that you mentioned was, uh, was meaty, I think was one of the words you used. And yeah, and uh, surprisingly so <laughs> for an Ethiopian. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's a, um, I, I, I tend, when I think about meatiness in a coffee or savory notes in a character or a savory characteristics in a coffee, I tend to think about how the coffee was brewed. And, you know, generally I think you can bring out some more of those more savory components in a, in a more unfiltered coffee. So if it's French press or even in a cupping experience where there's no filter involved, um, you might tend to get a little bit more of those kind of savory, savory characteristics in a coffee that, um, that when filtered might be a little bit more uh, lighter bodied and floral. And and nail on the head because French press is the method that I usually choose mm -hmm. because I like that meatiness. I like that umami being triggered. Mm -hmm. It's probably the cigar smoker in me, but I like something heavier. Yep. And um, so no, that, that's great. And when you're crafting the blend, what, what are you looking for as far as um, beans and then through the roasting process itself? Did you want to take me through that with, again, with an on uh, Colenso? Yeah. So with Colenso, it's a, it's a single origin coffee. So the coffee that comes in is the coffee we roast. That one doesn't get blended. Um, it is a, I guess true, it's, true. A, it's a blend, I guess that, um, you know, a lot of different smallholder farmers are submitting their coffees to the washing stations where the coffee's processed. So it's not like it's a single farm single origin coffee, um, but it's, you know, there's a small region of Ethiopia where many small farmers have, have contributed coffees. So 
Um, right. Yeah, blend in that sense. But um, when it comes to to roasting, you know, coffees in Ethiopia, coffees in East Africa, generally they'll have a little bit more. They'll be grown at generally higher elevations than than certain coffees in uh, certainly Southeast Asia, but maybe you know South America as well. So we we want to apply heat in a little bit different way to kind of um, to develop the coffee from the inside out. So for for higher density coffees, East African coffees grown at high elevation, we start with a pretty high charge temperature. So basically, how how hot we've preheated the oven, you know, how hot we've gotten the roaster before the uh, the roast actually starts. That that's a big element or big factor that we that we look for uh, in in roasting those coffees. And, uh, and then roast time, you know, we don't want to have a, a really flat roast curve and bake the coffee uh, when we're dealing with huh. an Ethiopian coffee. We want a pretty steep roast curve uh, to really bring out a lot of that um, more active acidity in the coffee and, uh, and certainly roast light enough so that we don't overwhelm all of those more delicate notes with, uh, with more of kind of roasty notes. So, um, Gotcha. Yeah, roasting roasting is a fun process. I mean, when you get a new coffee, like we we obviously hadn't roasted this coffee uh, before. Um, when we get every new lot, it's, it's always a, a new experience. But we do have an understanding of how coffees similar to this one have been roasted before, and uh, and we kind of know where we're kind of how we're going to approach the roast before we get started. So we're not always starting from scratch. Thankfully, we do have um, a good <laughs> understanding of where we want to be. But every every coffee is different. You know, we still have to do a lot of QC to make sure. Our, our assumptions were correct and that we had the roast profile that we want. Cool. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I do want to have you back on. This has been really interesting, but also my Benadryl is kicking in <laughs> and I feel a nap coming on. All right. No offense to the content that we put on display right now, but the allergies are just terrible out here. But um, before I do let you go for this go, and I hope you do come back on, um, could you just take a second, tell people where they could find Tinker Coffee? Yeah, tinkercoffee.com. Uh, Tinker Coffee on most social platforms. We're Tinker Coffee Co. on Twitter. Uh, but Tinker Coffee will generally pop up. So, um, yeah, check us out online. Grab a, grab a bag. We've got some really cool coffees on the, on the menu, and those single origins rotate every, every month or so. Uh, so there's always something new to try. Cool. And uh, we've got a cool subscription, too. I'll mention briefly, we um, – we, we, for our coffee subscription, we always source one coffee that's just for subscribers. Uh, so coffee that doesn't really go to wholesale at all, doesn't hit the web. It's just for subscribers. So you get a chance to try some pretty unique lots through our subscription. Awesome. Yeah, so everybody listening out there, the gentle persons out there, just, yeah, do go check that out. Excellent stuff. And not the first of yours that I reviewed. I've been very Colenso-centric in our discussion today, but all good stuff. And I guess, Steve, thank you for calling in and giving me some time. Yeah. Appreciate you having me on cap. All right. Thanks a lot. And uh, just to remind everybody out there, look for cap Lewis media, just, just Google it. Uh, that that'll work or go to www.kaplowitz.xyz. And thank you for listening.